One well, you're still, a, you're still a young buck when it comes to product, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're not 112 like some people. Is that the best you got? <laughs> Is that all you got? It did feel sad. And it was cheap. It <laughs> was really cheap. Oh, I'm not can, proud. You got to do better than that. No, I mean, you're a freaking bear cat. You got to step up your game, man. <laughs> Welcome to the intro. I'm Josh Anderson. Josh? Yes, Robert? How long have we been doing this? At least a decade. And what year is this now? We're 2020. On, and we're on the cusp of 2021. We are. You know, maybe there's something we can do that sort of talks about, like from a broad brush view. Yeah. Like tactical things. Interesting. Interesting tactical Get more in the weeds a little bit. Okay. Okay. What, what do you think? Do you think things have changed in the 10 years? Oh, uh, I, I think so. I've certainly, I've certainly <laughs> changed. We've both changed. Yes. The world has changed. Maybe the industry that, has changed. Maybe that's an episode. Let's let's try. All right. Okay. On to the episode. All right. Welcome to the Metacast. I'm Josh Anderson. And I'm Bob Galen. Who you are? Let's dive in. Let's wow. get, let's okay. Get, that's not no it. horsing around. No horsing around. No banter. Wow, which is right. rare for us. We're always bantering. Right? Well, here's the here's the secret, listeners. <laughs> We're getting right to it because there was a technical glitch. Oh, you have to show them behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah. Well, we just talked about it in the episode that we had to abandon because it there was a technical glitch about how people come to expect oh. some frivolity at the beginning. All right. So. Let's skip it. And we wasted it. That's the problem is that we, it was good and we wasted it. We had it. Yeah, it was yeah, good. Yeah. And then I think my elbow ruined it. Yeah. Let's dive in though. Okay. So today's topic is product owners. And yes, we've talked about product owners before, uh, but this was something taking a pivot away from the hard things and digging into something a bit more technical instead of flying at the... 10,000 foot level, 50,000 foot level about leadership. Like let's, let's talk about a thing that people can do. And maybe there's some things that they can walk away with after listening and go make meaningful changes to the way product owners operate yeah. or the way they operate as a product. And owner. we've talked about it in the past, but let's talk about it today. Mm -hmm. So product ownership. Oh, I like in it. 2020, 2021. Okay. Like, what are we seeing? What do we like? What do we don't like? Patterns, anti-patterns, or something like that. Yeah, okay, I like it. Uh, so it's not something historical. Yeah. So I'll, can I, I'll kick off. Do it. I, And this was mentioned to me in an Agile Moose Herd the other day. Someone asked me this, so I'm borrowing it from that, and I'm trying to get my brain around, around what I was saying. Um, the the pro, So the new Scrum Guide is coming out. There's the, a new Scrum there's, Guide? There's going to be a new Scrum Guide announced in a couple weeks. It went from 19 pages to 13, so it's had like a 30% reduction or something. Mm. Uh, so it's smaller okay. and shorter, okay. and they've changed some things, the roles and things. Um, but it made me, it just made me think about, you know, roles right. and uh, the role of the product owner. And what aggravates me still today, and I see this way too often, 
is is the product owner part of the team? Mm-hmm. Uh, should the can the product should the product owner come to the daily stand up? Mm. Okay. No, no, there's a lot of debate. Yeah, you may be insulated in liberal, yeah. but they are out there, there's a lot of freaking debate, and it's almost half and half. It's like the election. It's almost like 50-50. Some people, it's like marginalization of the product owner. They're, they're sort of, they can't come to the retro because they might put a spin on it and, and give negative, you know, they might express uh, frustration with the team's performance or business. They might relay business frustration with the team's performance. So we don't want them there. And, and they can't speak. They're not a member of the scrum team. Remember that delineation in the scrum guide? There's the uh, scrum team and the dev team. Mm-hmm. So you got to, the daily standup is for the dev team. So the scrum, the product owner is not allowed to come. Again, some yeah, camps, yeah. and and I get aggravated because this marginalization shit still continues to this day. That you know the product owner is in a different role, and it's sort of putting the dev team above the product, and it, and it annoys me. It annoys me from a teamwork perspective, like it's mm-hmm. not inclusive. Absolutely, it annoys me from you know you're you're sort of marginalizing the customer stakeholder business side of things. Mm-hmm. Right, it's like no, they have a seat at the table, right? I almost don't care what the scrum guide says uh, or the interpretation of it. To me, it's like a scrum team is people doing the work plus scrum master plus product owner, mm-hmm. and they all go to the events, etc. Mm-hmm. So my my frustration was I still see this time and time again, and people are out there still looking for justification. A lot of teams, and they equate it to empowerment, they equate it to <laughs> trust and empowerment yeah. at a team level. Uh, and okay. So I was just ranting. I, Metacasters, to me, that's an anti-pattern. Yeah. If you're on that 50% of the side. Uh, it's interesting that that um, trust is a thing so that we don't trust you, so you're out. When exactly. in reality, the right answer is like we should extend trust to get trust. There's multiple dimensions yeah. to this thing that pisses me off, right? Uh, scrum masters support it. Wow. Uh, you would never, you would never, uh, the team would, would sort of explode if, if they were treated that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. If they were any team member and, yeah. and rightfully so. Yeah. It's, it's, it's odd. And, and the other odd part about it is scrum's been around for so damn long mm-hmm. that I thought it would mature out of that. And again, it's don't, don't kick someone out for bad behavior, address the bad behavior. So, Side side note. Yeah. The new scrum guide. Like who get who who does who who writes who de- it? Yeah. Uh Schwaber and Sutherland. Okay. They and they don't oh, right. I guess it's kinda of hard, hard uh, to argue. No. Well no, you can. But what but all I'm saying is that it is not an organization no 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 saying this. Well it's, no the Scrum Alliance passes it to me as a coach. Yeah. So Sutherland and Schwaber give early draft versions out to like the scrum trainers through the scrum alliance mm-hmm. as an example for review. Uh, they're kind of looking for feedback, but they're really just saying you're training. You're yeah. going to have to adjust like the, the, the CSMs have to align all of the certs have to align with the new, the current scrum. Guy. So that's a top down approach. Yeah. Not a bottoms up because my assumption is, the last time those two guys were operating in a true scrum team, oh, long time it's ago, it's been a while. Oh, it's and it's even funnier. They can't. It was supposed to be out in June or July, I think, 
but they they couldn't agree, <laughs> so they couldn't agree on what was in there. So not only have they are they both disconnected, yeah. With all due respect, gentlemen, but you're disconnected, yeah. Right? I I, I would be disconnected, yeah. right? So, uh, but uh, they can't agree on they, they have a they really butt heads a lot. Hmm. So it's hard for them to normalize that and and agree on what it's going to contain. And that's interesting. Well, listeners, I look forward to reading that and hopefully saying. Makes sense, and not like raising an eyebrow, like going, "Hmm, I'm not sure about that." What I like about it, so so the other rant I had, and and we don't have to stay in products. This is this could be a rant session, but a more technical rant session is um, another rant. I I said at the same time was I get tired of people, you, and maybe we've talked about this before, but like doing everything by the Scrum Guide. So here, so yeah, here, yeah, so yeah. here you have yeah, this agile. Well, let, well, let, let's actually come back to that. Okay. Right. And, and because I think the thing I'm going to say will play into what you just talked about and then we'll lean into cool. what you're ready to talk about. Drive it. Bucket. My theory on how much of the industry got to that point where they're trying to stiff arm that product owner and keep them at arm's length is, is because How am I supposed to listeners? I would I was in a groove, and then <laughs> then Bob Galen sees one of my yes. It fits great, Bob. <laughs> Bob Galen. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Josh. You were in a groove. I was. I Get was rolling. I was rolling. Then Bob looks to his right, sees one of my hats, and is stopped dead in his tracks. It's like he's seeing I had to like a dinosaur. So then he grabs it. And I tried it on. Puts his hat inside of my hat, which fit comfortably <laughs> then <laughs> completely he removed his hat and put my hat on his head and then that's when you heard the bob galen cackle well it sank down to my eyeballs <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it encompassed my uh, entire cranium and then some so, uh, josh i'm sorry that's okay hey listen we started the episode with the minimum amount of frivolity so, so we just injected inject, inject it a little. yeah so it's right in the middle so you were on it i hope you didn't lose your no i got it i'm good bob I'm a pro. I can I can you, handle this. You brought your A game today, didn't you? Every day, Bob. Every day on the field. <laughs> this isn't practice. This is live game time. I'm with you. Go ahead. Okay. So astound us. One. Oh, thanks for <laughs> astound us. He says. All right. So back to what everybody was uh, waiting for me to say. I've got this theory that the reason why teams are trying to stiff arm product owners. And or there are people that are trying to operate strictly by the book is because so many businesses out there marginalize the PO role in and of itself by not actually hiring somebody with experience. There's this theme that some friends and I have noticed that product becomes, and this sounds bad, but it's the reality, a dumping ground for smart people of, Hey, 
you're really smart and you know the product, you know it really well. So like, go be a product owner. And they get dropped in this role with very little support. And so now they're trying to figure out how to do this job. And that makes it more difficult on the team because a good product owner will accelerate a team and a inexperienced learning product owner will slow them down. Well, and it's multifaceted. It's not just product knowledge, right? Or technical, depending on the product domain, but it's all, it's well-rounded. Yeah. So it's like communication skills, right? The ability to communicate vision in a way that doesn't, that's inclusive, right? Yeah. There's an art to the soft skills of that. That, that resonates with me actually. Yeah. Right. And so that, that's a, that's a common thing that I've seen across companies that I've spent time with. And it's amazing that when you hire someone into that role with experience, the difference that it makes. And they don't even have to be the best product owner in the universe. Yeah. But a solid product owner with experience versus a rock star something else yeah. that is now asked to operate in this role that they've never done before, it's not fair for that person. You have to enable them. You have to give them a way to learn. But so often people get thrust into that role and then why isn't this working? What's going on? The team rebels, right? Stuff you know, like that. You happens. know, it's, it's now that you're, you're saying that I also think, so I buy that. I haven't seen that. I mean, I've seen it, but I haven't thought about it mm-hmm. the way you talked about it, but it makes perfect sense to me. Um, but the other thing is I think companies put scapegoats in too, uh, so that everyone, because everyone wants to be a product owner, every C-level person, Oh, wants to be a I product gotcha, owner, yeah, right? Yeah. So I don't want. I, I so I think what happens is if there's a product owner, even if they're good, mm-hmm. but if twenty eight thousand people are working around them, giving the team feedback, yeah, then it undermines that product owner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I right. mean, you you have to actually like sort of, you know, sort of commit to your product mm-hmm. owner and trust your product owner. Otherwise, the team gets confused just from a role. So I could see them marginalizing them from that perspective too. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so there's some under there's some anti. I think that's the most com to me. That's the most common thing is not having a truly empowered product organization, of which a product owner is yeah. is a role within that. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I would agree. It's really hard to to. I don't even think it's the skill. I mean, the skill is part of it, but people giving up the power and the decision making mm-hmm. to a group or separating it. It to me. I remember at eye contact, I would make my case as a leader. Like I was representing technical architecture sometimes and technical evolution or like refactoring mm-hmm. initiatives. And I would make my case to product, but then I had to step back and trust them and just shut up and just mm-hmm. let it go. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas when I was in a leadership role, I, I would, or when I wasn't trusting them, then I would muck around with that mm-hmm. and I would undermine them and tell people what to do, et cetera. But I, I think the healthy balance is you just have to give them feedback and then step back yeah. and they put it where they put it. Right. And so I think that pattern also enables what you were talking about before I jumped in, that there are many people that like just do it by the book. Yeah. Right. And, and because there is no support, there was no education, there was no backing. It's like, okay, well I'm in this role. How do I do it? And the only way for me to go do it is to like, there's a, there's a definition and I'll go to the dictionary and read it and I'll right. do that. Right. And there's no one to, there's no Mr. Miyagi, 
right? That helps them understand when I say paint the fence, yeah, like this is really what yeah. I mean. And then when I say paint the house, this is what I mean. I like your Mr. Miyagi metaphor because it's, I really think that's a missing thing too. Mm-hmm. I think you need someone to give you the confidence called a coach or a Miyagi mm-hmm. or whatever, someone to give you the guidance and confidence to know when to shift. Like I said, you're stuck in shoe. You're stuck mm-hmm. in following it by the book. And then you can play around with hobbits. You need confidence and you need sound sort of ideas, support for that. Uh, and folks, in lieu of that, they stay in the book. Yeah. Right? Because it appears safe. Uh, but for me, I, I want teams. I, I mean, I want the evolution. Mm-hmm. The other thing is I think the Scrum folks, Scrum is unique. So extreme programming Never was a concern. Like, you never hear people, I never heard in 20 years or more, I never heard someone say, you're not doing extreme programming, right? Like, if you're not pairing, oh, you're not doing it. It was always a set, it was a cobbled together set of good ideas. Mm -hmm. And you chose to do what you wanted to do. Well, Mm -hmm. Scrum's never been interpreted that way. Right. It's always... You know, you either are doing Scrum, great, do it by the book, and do it for the next 10 years by the book, or or you suck, you're not doing Scrum, and that's the that's the central problem with your, your that's what the driver is for your problems. And that's, that's unagile from my point of view. So I was ranking against that as well. I mean, you know, it's, it's sort of counter, it's counter to the agile mindset from my right. point of view, right, is to be doing the same, to do anything the same way for 10 years. Uh, is what do you think? I, is, I, I without it, change, that's certainly not continuous improvement. No, no, but but some of these things, folks gets you know sort of stuck on that. Another sh- shifting gears. Okay, product owners stories. Yeah, I one of the things I wrote a couple blogs pr- quite a few years ago. One was technical product ownership, mm-hmm. and one was technical stories. And I was talking at a technical story. And this is probably the blog post I've gotten the most shit about over the years, <laughs> right? Seriously, no, yeah. over, oh, not, yeah, yeah. not at one time, yeah, but, but cumulative. But people find it a lot, so it's probably. I think it's the most read freaking blog post I've ever written, unfortunately. And I was talking about like um, infrastructure stories mm-hmm. where you're doing like DevOps and you have mm-hmm. no user interface. Mm-hmm. And I was I was trying to say to me. It's you can still capture it in a story you mm-hmm. want to, and you want to ca- in the acceptance criteria invest less in the story. You probably heard me say this before, and invest a lot of stuff into the the technical nuance of it, the design issues like mm-hmm. performance, mm-hmm. if response times, if it's an API, error handling, yeah. insight. Put that in the acceptance criteria. So I have a lightweight story as a I want so that, but heavyweight acceptance criteria, and you sort of change. You might change the influence. Uh, and, or it might have, you know, it might be something infrastructural, mm-hmm. like you have a refactoring story and the shit I get about that is mostly, and I'm not bitter. I mean, mm-hmm. I understand it is like, oh, it's not a, it's not a customer facing story. It's something underneath the covers it's supporting. So you shouldn't write that you should only write customer facing or value stories like well, that, that's ridiculous. I mean, there's a lot of value that is delivered to the customer, maybe not, not directly. Yeah, ex- you get the point, though. Yeah. The, gi- the gist is the direct value. That's pretty sad that you get crap about that because the understanding of value there seems pretty shallow. I 
again, I, yeah. I don't even know. I understand where they're coming from. Yeah. I, I, I try not to grind an axe, but I wanted well, to get your take on I, it. So here's how I do that. I, I would be interested in how you do uh, The traditional product owner does not serve as the product owner for those stories. Ooh. So because there have been so many times where even if you go that route and you have, you're basically building a checklist for a non-technical person to be the product owner for a very right. technical thing. So, so many times the product owner is like, uh, check, check, check. I guess it's good. Ship yep. it, you know? Yep. Um, and they felt like, Hey, like I'm not really doing the job and, and like, I'm not delivering the value, not the value of the story, but the value of the role isn't being delivered because right. it's just a checkbox at this point. So do you have architects? Right. Order? So whenever there was a story that was like that, where the product owner was uncomfortable because it was too technical, was yeah. infrastructure, it was a architectural upgrade thing, yeah, stuff, something right. like that, the team decided, hey, who's the best person to be the product owner for this role? And often it was an architect or for us, if it was a front end thing, we had like a front end chapter lead that was on another squad that we like, Hey, like we're going to actually ask you to be the PO for this story yeah. because like you're the best person to say, yes, this delivers on the intent. But how do you, but back to that person, the, <clears throat> it's not one person, it's yeah. a genre of people, who right, come, yeah. but it is not connected to customer value. It directly. is. It is. It is not directly connected. It, so that is not allowed in my organization. Okay. So right. So, so one of the challenges that we had early, and that any early organization is going to have, is that product owners end up putting stories into backlogs or into roadmaps or into whatever because a developer said so, the team said so, or right. architect said so, or whatever. And it was just like, no, that's not okay. You. And I always turn the table, and this is how I get teams to go, like, aha, is that, team, you would be, like, flipping the table if a product owner came to you and said, hey, we're putting this story in here just because I said so, because I said we needed to do it. Right. And there was no business value behind it, just right. because, like, that box needs to be blue, because right. I want it to be blue, and don't ask. And, right. But But that's what teams were doing to product owners. And product owners were trying to do the good thing and trust the team and say, okay, like, hey, they said we need to do it. And, and you can't allow that to happen. You have to hold those stories to the same standards as yep. all the other stories. Yep. Now it took the team six months ish to figure out how to reframe those stories. So they connect to value. So they connect to value. So okay. I think in language that the customer and stakeholder can understand. Right. So you right. would have a corollary story. Right. That would be functional. Yeah. I'll just use that. Yeah. That these things would connect to in some way. No, we, Every story had a had a business value thing that had to be filled in. Of but hey, how can, but how can I as a customer? I, I'm I'm just playing clueless. It is not or. the customer. It is so that the product owner can appropriately prioritize the work. Okay. So that I as a product owner understand why this is more important than those 105 changes I want to make to our new screen. But I also have to deliver val perceived value to a stakeholder, right? Mm -hmm. They have to be able to discern that it has value to them yeah. and what it means to them. Right. So there does have to be like a mapping of some sort. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, by, by upgrading this, we now will spend... 30% less time okay. building our front-end code. So because the, team, we, the team writes the story, they connect it with the product owner to the value. Yeah. 
but it's not a real story until both of those things have happened. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, I have the same view to it. Two blog posts I wrote, one was these technical stories, the other was a technical product owner. Mm-hmm. I wrote them in close time proximity, and, and what I meant by a technical product owner is just what you're saying. Yeah. It's not a PO in role, but it's a PO in mindset mm-hmm. that occasionally, like architects, I think mm-hmm. I use an example of architects, I want them to create a stream of architectural stories. So the mindset they have is value, mm-hmm. product ownership. I'm not turning them into a product owner, right? but you have to merge those stories with like functional stories, right? right? Uh, I also wanted them to partner with the product organization, those technical POs. Yeah. And they were temporary. Sometimes, you know, someone would be in that role and then they would go away for six months, then they might come back. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't a permanent thing. It was based on the flow of work. Yeah, and here's the hidden value that when you go through that effort to ask the teams to write those stories in that way, they then get better at working with a product owner because now they've had to wrap their brain around how do I prove that we should do this? How do, how do we, how does it make sense that we're going to do this because I think it's cool versus we're going to do this because it makes sense. And maybe it makes sense and it's cool. That's a double. There's, bonus. there's a school of thought. I think that I heard in the comments that everything a team does has to be visible value to the client. Meaning, using a UI, it has to have a user interface component associated with it, like visible. And if it's not, then you're you're finessing things. You're doing whatever you want. Wow. Okay. Right. So, so there's there's almost like a visual connection that you have to make. So, if you're doing some plumbing, you can do the plumbing, but you have to do it under the banner of a of a story or something, and make and make the prioritization visible. My uh, reaction is that's lazy. Yeah, I still, I still struggle. I again, it's, it's, it, we can move on. Yeah. But that's one of those. That's another area where I think folks are still, product owners are still struggling mm-hmm. with like value after right. all these years in that. Welcome to our social justice minutes. Cool. So I have just one thing, and I, I need to send it to you, Josh. Okay. Uh, so I have a picture of a cow class where there's one old white guy yeah. with a white beard yeah, and no other people like that. That's good. And smiling. I just finished my, my, uh, my last virtual cow class uh, with all, I'm trying to think, all African-American or all people of color, quite a few women. Good. I think maybe have, I'd have to, I'd have to count, but at least, no, I think there were more. There were more women than right. men. So I'm. I was nailing diversity, nice. and 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 I just felt so proud of them. So I have this little picture, right? Mm-hmm. The little Zoom picture. Uh, so I'll share that. Uh, and they all got went through it really, really nicely. So it was a good class. Uh, I tailored. Most of them were scrum masters. Mm-hmm. So I really tried to tailor it to helping them. It, you know, a lot of them are dealing with with struggling leaders and th- uh, yeah. leaders and things like that. So I tried to tailor it to them, and uh, I think it went well. Good. So I'll share that picture with you, and maybe you can post it with the uh, yeah. Uh, That's exciting. Uh, I was I was jazzed. My daughter was proud of me, mm-hmm. um, and I know it may sound stupid, but it just it meant something to me. So I was very I was very I was very proud yeah. of that, like that event. So well, I mean, but that that that's exactly what we've been 
talking about and the reason we hit the pause button in the middle of our episodes now is that it's little things like that, that it's easy to say now that you've gone through and made a difference. It's little, but it's not because six months ago you weren't doing that. You weren't focused on how can I do better? Absolutely. And that, that is the intent of this break that we insert. It's how can you do better? What can you do? And Bob's been working on that angle for months yep. and it finally came to fruition and you were able to see that and, and that like, Hey, like I've, I've done better. Yep. Right. And we're not there yet, but it's things like that. If we can all do that, then we're going to start chipping away at this and progress will be made. The other thing I want to tee up for you mm-hmm. is um, I'm a little afraid so, so Black Lives Matter, the movement, from mm-hmm. my perspective, seems to be losing steam in right. general. Yeah, there's still activity, but it's not that wellspring of activity. And and I'm worried a little bit. I don't want to lose my mojo. Right, right. But I think a lot of people are, you know, losing their mojo. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I want us to keep our mojo up and just keep me sharp. Yeah, uh, because it's easy, out of sight, out of mind. Right. Not it's not in the news or something. But uh, well, and like here's a classic. Example, we talk about this every week, so it should be front of mind in my brain. Yet, in this past week, I can't point to anything that I've done. So even me, who's sitting here in front of all of your ears saying, hey, go do this. So I'm out here talking about this, and I and I don't have anything to show for it for the past week. So that's not good, but there's awareness. Right? Yep. So I can't allow that to... to to continue and I've got to do better. And hopefully you're sitting there checking things off on your list. Like, yes, I did this. Yes. Making progress. Yes. Here. Yes. Here. Yes. Here. Um, or maybe you're like me and like, dang on it's like, I didn't do good enough. So it's but, all, it's all yeah. forward movement. Right. Exactly. So you and I will keep each other sharp yes. and Metacasters give us your ideas, but also take some personal ownership. Yep. Hey, back to the episode. Yep. What are you pet peeves for product owners in this day and age? I mean, the biggest pet peeve is not for product, but the thing I said where it's like, we're going to put somebody in this role and they're going to so succeed. That, and then it's not going to, and then it's not going to work. And then the problem is product owners. When in reality, like the problem is like, no, you, you didn't give that chance a, or that person a chance to succeed. What's the empowerment yeah. thing is a big, is it training in the, in the, I think that's the, that, that empowerment of the product or organization is the most common issue I've seen over the past, like 10 years. What do you think? What are some drivers? Like trust is one, right? I think distrust. I mean, I, I can't, it's, I, and I go into some organizations sometimes and you hear everyone like from senior leaders and they don't trust product folks. Mm-hmm. Or even the product, the chief product owner doesn't, they only trust like half of their product yeah. owners and the other half they really don't trust, but they do nothing about it. So, so, Well, what I've seen, instead of doing nothing about it, then they put that all on themselves. So that chief product owner or product whatever becomes the product manager, product oh, yeah, owner yeah, for, yeah. for everything. For everything. Well, yeah, yeah, and they're coming, but they're not being honest about it. They're right. just, they're coming in behind the scenes and second right. guessing and, and whatever. They're micromanaging. And then wasting the company's money. Absolutely. By hiring all these product owners Absolutely. and not letting them do Absolutely. the job. Or not growing them, like you yeah. know, grow them or, you know, grow them up or grow them out or yeah. something like that. Um, there was something. So for me, I've spent more time in smaller companies and, I see so many companies struggle with the transition from 
what I call a founder-led organization, where there's that, that, that one person that was there from the start that had the idea, turned this into a company, led to the acquisition, and now they're a bigger company or something, and that person refuses to let go and often will pound the table of, I, I know these customers better than you because I've been doing it for 10 years, 15 years, right. 20 years, and like there's no way anybody can do this better than me. And my response is like, okay, I get that. But we're now a $150 million company. Right. How are you going to be the CXO of right. a company that large with investors and all the things and do that job well and do well, the product piece scale, well? Right? Yeah. It doesn't. Right. I mean, that entrepreneur thing doesn't, doesn't scale. And they have to choose, I think, to some degree. And they don't want to choose. Mm-hmm. Right. It's either, you know, that you can't be everything. So right. if you want to be in product. But it is ultimately trust, right? Yeah. It is that I don't trust this person to do the job well. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what other pet peeves I have. So I have um, Eric Hannon, a good buddy of ours. Yeah. Agile coach that I really respect that um, if you're ever on the Twitch stream, which is coming back, and he's there. He will remind everybody that I say how great Eric is, and then yet I passed on hiring him at one point. You did pass. I on did. Him. Right. So he so he likes to twist Rips that knife. Nose. He yeah. does, and it's fair. And I have no argument. Um, one of the things that he did that was interesting, that has intrigued me, is he leveled up his teams to the point where they started to not need a product owner. And I had a very visceral reaction of like, ooh, that's bad. But I know Eric's really good. I know Eric wouldn't let that just happen. He wouldn't let the role not be handled. But what happened within his teams is that the teams got closer and closer to the product and started to really own that and be interested and to help do all of that work. So that allowed the product owner role to start to elevate into almost a product manager role. Yeah. And that was, again, my first reaction was like, ew, boy, that sounds bad. But well, I still think Eric's full of crap. So. <laughs> I, the, Eric, I said I would love to hear this, right? But, um, you know the danger with that, a reaction, a quick reaction yeah. to that? It's sort of like the same, and this is going to sound like a ding on Eric, and I don't mean it to sound there. It's a ding on everyone. Uh, it's a narrow view to what something is. So testers. Folks, there's there's a genre of thinking in the Agile community that says developers can test their own code, mm-hmm. um, and they can. Mm-hmm. But that's having a that's presumpting a very narrow view of what testing is. If you've ever done if you've ever done study of software testing, yeah, like the profession of software testing, it's not just like unit tests and a little bit of functional sampling and maybe writing a little bit of automated code. It's much more, it's regression test suites, it's mm-hmm. automation, it's customer intimacy, it's shifting left to understand, right? It's, it's doing performance testing, it's doing security testing. It's, it's, there's a lot of nuance to it. Uh, if you're in a regulated environment, so it's reporting your results and being able to, right. to articulate that. I'm not arguing, I'm, this is not a point. I, I don't think developers in that, they, they don't understand that they're doing part of the job. Mm-hmm. Right, and they're thinking that it's the whole job. I, I'm, I'm going to bring that same yeah. logic to. Pro- I, I look at product management the same way. Can I? I've said for years, probably pre Eric, 
and you've heard me say this in my product owner classes, I want a good product owner needs to create mini me's mm-hmm. in their team, which is mini product owners. And you get better results if you're creating mini me's. I think that's what Eric's yeah. saying. Yeah, which is which is what Eric saw happen. Yeah. And so then they leaned into that. But the problem is it's they're not product managers, right? Right. They're not doing competitive analysis. They're not doing right, which was not the intent. No, but right. I, but I, but that's actually there's those are complementary skills, right? Those mini me's are right. they need to become mini general managers. They need to, and and I don't think that that so it makes sense in the narrow. Yeah, and it has value, but we I, I don't think it should replace something. Do you know what I'm saying? I so I, I think the distinction you're making versus one that I'm making. Why I buy into it more is that I have a pretty firm delineation between product manager and product owner. And I view the product owner side of the house as internal, mostly. Yeah. Right? So I think there's a capacity. If it is a homegrown team like Eric had that he had coached for a long time, I think you could get there. I think it could be successful. See, it would take time, and I think there's value there. See, I, I, would, yeah. ar- I would argue, it, again, I'm thinking of the four quadrants I, right. I developed, and like product management is one of those. Right, and to me, that that the the intent, as I understand, we probably should have done this with Eric on the yeah. episode. So maybe, so maybe we'll do that. Um, the intent is that, hey, the team owns one of the quadrants now, and now the person that was operating as a product owner now – can focus more on the product management quadrant than they could before because there was so much requirement for them to to do this other thing. See, and I I, I think I'm arguing. I'm not arguing with Eric. I understand. I think I'm trying to articulate it better. I'm arguing that it's a nuanced, deep. I think Eric yeah. and I have actually had this argument over coffee. I'm my position is I I honor product ownership management. Mm-hmm. As a deep, right, and broad profession, yeah. on urge testing, it's the same argument I have on both sides. It's can the team step up? Will the te- will a team member be better mm-hmm. if they uh, have testing capabilities and product awareness? Mini me's on both. Absolutely, I yeah. want as much of that as possible. But what I don't want to do, I worry about. Than saying, oh, okay, we don't need, they can solely do that. They are solely yeah. responsible for that. I, I want someone, like a doctor, and you see this in, this is a bad, I'm, I'm pulling a metaphor out of my butt, but, right, I, I want my physician to be there. I don't want the physician, there's some things that physician's assistant is fine. Yeah. But if I'm getting a diagnosis, like, you know, for a serious, you know, I, 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 want, I want the doctor to weigh in. I want someone who's more holistic, and I don't want to fire them. Yeah. Right. Uh, I just argue that there's not always a need because I have built very successful teams without a quality member in our squads. Now that was, we were like two squads. So that was reasonable. Oh, we built the product from scratch and built all that testing in from the very beginning. And that was there. We had that mindset to start. If we continue to grow, then I would have gone the quality assistance approach that I think Atlassian always used where they they aren't there to do the testing. They are there to bring that mindset. They right. are that backstop to make sure that what what the others are doing is being done well. Um, and I've seen success with that. So I think there's a 
there's a spectrum where it can and can't work. Yeah. And I think it depends a lot on team size. It depends a lot on the company, the yeah. company, the culture. Were you able to grow that from the start? All of those things where there's ways that it can happen. So do not blindly run and apply this approach, right? Go and make sure it's right for you. Well, and maybe it's, it's not. But it's also the T. So I'm, I'm going to let it go. I'm like a dog on a bone a little bit, <laughs> right? I just, I just disagree. I mean, yeah. I agree with mini me's, uh, but then I disagree with, it's like T-shapedness, right? I want people to have deep experience, right? I don't want there. There's a trend in agile, or at least this is my perception. I'm probably wrong, but uh, there's a trend where everything people are additive to the team. Mm-hmm. Oh, a team member can do this. Let's add that function to the team. Let's add this to the team. Yeah, it's Let's that and. To, it's like developer yeah. and this, and yeah. then a developer and that, and a developer and yeah. this. I gotcha. Right, and it's like we're trying to create the ultimate. It, it almost seems like they're not. We're trying to like have box shaped developers. I I'm not. I just what's wrong with having people who are good at something, <laughs> right? Uh, I think it goes back to some of the things that we talked about where. The sad reality is, I think it's driven by cheapness. It is. It's driven by revenue. Yeah. It's driven. It's driven by cheapness. It's driven by budget. Mm-hmm. All right. It's driven by, and you know this. I mean, it is easy to hire developers. Mm-hmm. It is hard to to hire every other function. Yeah. In a company, and you know that from mm-hmm. a ratio perspective, or it's it's so much easier. I mean, I've gone to boards. Right, a hundred develop. Oh, because they equate that to productivity. Yeah, they every other function is equated to overhead mm-hmm. in people's brains, whether they admit it or not. Right, uh, and I I've never understood. I mean, I've understood it. I've encountered it, but I don't. I don't know if I think that way. That now that doesn't mean I don't think developers are valueless. I, I they're valuable. No, I it's, it's it's but I I would build teams with complementary skills. Yeah, like, I, I, what 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 people will hear that you say is that it's easy to hire developers. What you meant is it's easy to get the funding the to go funding. hire developers. No, 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 yeah, the yeah. funding. Yeah. No, I'm not talking about the hiring yeah. process. I'm talking about the, for going to a board. I mean, you've experienced yeah. this, yeah. haven't you? Yeah. If you say ten, I mean, all things being equal, if I if you said ten scrum masters, people are going to look like you look at you like your head, like you have three heads, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they might give you the funding for one, but if you say developers. Leadership think, equates that to productivity. They can't write that check fast enough. Right, it's productivity. Oh, yeah. oh, if we have ten and you say ten more, we're going to get we're going to get you know two times more stuff. Yeah. Cool, I can sign that check, and yeah. it's not. Yeah, you know, it's the and then everyone else's overhead, right? Very often, or people look at that mm-hmm. BAs. It's the same thing. You know, we don't need BAs. We don't need UX design. So, what other pet around product ownership? Um, sitting with the team, I might throw that out there. That's a requirement you, to you me. You know what? It's it's not. It, it is not. It comes back to this marginalization, and it, I agree with you. Uh, I remember at Eye Contact, we had the product owners had two seats. Every product owner there was a product yeah. owner area mm-hmm. because we honored them as yeah. a team, as a group, mm-hmm. and, and they had it really decked out because they had some. They were doing some creative stuff, like design stuff. Mm-hmm. So they had rolling white. They had their own little creative little area to work with for ideation. Uh, but then they, every one of our pods had a seat for product owners, and they would sit with the team on a daily basis, and it was absolutely wonderful. Yeah, uh, I don't know any other way to do it. Like. It, the thought has never crossed my mind. 
See, but to not have that be the way. See, and that's not that's sort of where I'm going. Like 2020, and there's still people on the planet Earth that exclude POs from mm-hmm. their teams, and there's still people on the planet Earth that are that are worrying about like technical stories, and there's still people on the planet Earth that a lot of them that don't think that POs have to sit with the team mm-hmm. or not have to incur. It, I mean, it's not. It shouldn't even be like. This debate, mm-hmm. it's like they're a member of the team, is what right, I'm thinking, yeah. right? They're a member of the team. Um, so uh, that was a, that was another thing that just that just boggles my mind. And in the herd, in the herd, you know. In fact, I don't think anyone there. Now, part of this is COVID, but POs didn't hang out with the team. They 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 didn't sit with the teams. That never even crossed my mind as a possibility of anything to discuss. I know. Because it's just like it, it's the, but it's yeah. this, it's this evolution of it's it's sort of a different role, it's a nagging role, it's a it's a leadership role or something. It should hmm. be inclusive. You should. Um, wow. Th- there was another connotation of they shouldn't they shouldn't complain to the team. Meaning, if the team isn't competing or if the company is not competing, like don't give uh outside information like we're not competing in the landscape we're we're behind the curve from a competition perspective so it's challenging do not relay that because that could demoralize the team so so don't 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 tell them what it's like out there don't give them competitive information don't give them challenging information <laughs> don't give them sales don't give them sales information like units where you know what is our what is our sales trends um because, because darn. you need to hire different developers. Then I well, <laughs> like, that, like like that's not a product owner. That's a that's a developer problem. I know. You know. I know. Um, and a leadership problem within that organization. Because what I would expect and what I've seen, and that's something that we've done in my new role in product is we we are bringing all of that information to the teams, and the response has been amazing. Like wow, this is a game changer. Like this really helps. Now that I know this. I can really dig in and help us deliver against that and go beat those folks and do all those things. And so, yeah, I think there's a, there may be part of this is like a prima donna developer syndrome that surfaced. I agree with you. I mean, I respect Metacasters don't misinterpret. I I'm a developer of my roots. Mm -hmm. I respect the shit out of great developers, but great developers are not myopic. Right. Great developers think of architecture. They are T-shaped. They they want to understand. They're curious about the competitive. And they don't want, oh, that sounds really challenging. Oh, now I'm sort of, oh, I don't know if I can get motivated in the morning to to, right. to attack that. Well, then I mean, you need to leave. Yeah. Right? I mean, come on. That's 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 the competitive landscape. Get get your blood pumping here. Like, like play in the game. It's a team game. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's wrap this up. I feel I'll like let you wrap it up. I feel, you... I feel like there's more. Um, I'm going to see if we can get Eric in to dig into that further, if we want to stay in this product realm. That would be cool. Um, or maybe we can cycle back at some point. But um, I kind of like this, like, blah, blah, blah in 2020, because you and I have been doing this podcast for a long time. For blah, blah, blah time. For yeah. a decade-ish. Yeah. And... The world has changed. You and I have changed. Um, so there's been a lot of evolution 
in our brains but and then, in the world. And then, yeah. but, but then not too. The yeah. stuff we're talking about is the. It's almost like, and it's funny looking at you, like your expression. You're like, what? Yeah. Is that really what? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it's yeah, it's like that never entered my mind. And I'm like, I, I can't. I mean, I understand that yeah. you have you have your context. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a tough world. Maybe it's like in 2020, it's a tough agile world out there. Yeah, and maybe we should attack some of those things. Okay, we'll do that. Is maybe that's where you're going? Yeah, but, but yeah, like okay. I and it's nice for me to hear that I'm not totally full of shit from you because I respect you, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes I'm like, you know, maybe I just maybe I'm just disgruntled. Or maybe I'm maybe I'm putting the bar up too high, right? Yeah, no, and I shouldn't be putting the bar up yeah. so high, right? In fact, I did this thing with Corey Bryan. I don't know if you know Corey. Mm-hmm. So Corey, uh, I, I did a podcast with him. The last time I did it, we were talking about a maturity. I have a product owner maturity thing, mm-hmm. that I, a tool that I put together, and it was funny. Um, and he reviewed it, and that was the podcast, sort mm-hmm. of arguing. And he, Corey likes the opportunity to argue with me, so so I gave him. <laughs> so I, I I wanted to give him that shot, yeah. And he took it. He it was fun, and uh, but I set the, I didn't set the bar high enough. And was that a challenge that he threw threw at you? Yeah. Okay. Like like in multiple areas of my. Like I don't think I've ever. Most people look at me as like you're freaking lunatic. Stop it. Stop mm-hmm. demanding too much. And so I, I sort of maybe I'm getting lackadaisical or soft in my old age. But he was like, no, I disagree. You have to be doing this. Yeah. To be like to be mediocre, you got to be doing this. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'll, <laughs> I'll just that up, right? He 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 sort of raised the bar on me. Uh, and I have to go revisit that. Yeah. Okay. So, folks, go give that a listen. He's a founding member of the Agile Podcast Network. Yeah, absolutely. Also a Raleigh local. He's a Raleigh so local. So that is the Deliberate Cast. Well, and, and by in, Corey in this space, yeah. actually, you know what would be cool is not just Eric, but to get Corey. I mean, he's he's yeah. a, he's the product. Guy. I mean, that's his whole podcast is yeah. about product owners. Yeah. So, so okay, maybe we take something off there. Okay. We can we can work on that. All right, we got things to do. But I like this twenty twenty. Maybe yeah. I don't know what it looks like, but uh, I wanted to get off the hard bits. So we've yeah. been we've been on the hard bits for a while. Seven episodes. Yeah, and maybe our trend. I, I agree with you. It's let's go deeper or tactical. We've been in the ether mm-hmm. for a while, right? Right. Management leadership. Let's get let's get into our roots a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I like it. All right, Metacasters, from beautiful downtown Fuquave, Arena, North Carolina. <laughs> I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. Shake and bake. Take care, y'all.